Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 152 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I have been looking forward to this for a long time, and I hope it's going to help you lead like never before. And in an age of sound bites and social media status updates, sometimes done in all caps and people snapping at each other, I hope this is going to feel like an oasis to you. It is the long-awaited interview that I did actually a couple months ago with Eugene Peterson and recently had a chance to sit down with Mark Batterson and Adam Weber, both of whom have been previous guests on this podcast, and we'll link to their episodes in the show notes, uh, to talk about Eugene's legacy. So uh, this episode is 30 minutes with uh, me and Eugene Peterson, where I got to talk to him by telephone, and then uh, a roundtable with Mark Batterson and Adam Weber, both of whom are authors and both of whom have been deeply impacted by Eugene Peterson, Mark even having spent an afternoon with him. So I thought it would be good to just talk about uh, the legacy of Eugene. And also, well, we get into all kinds of like amazing stuff, both in the interview with Eugene and then later in the little uh, panel I did with Mark and with Adam. And I hope, you know, those of you who who have been following what's going on, it's been a, a rather unusual summer for Eugene Peterson. Uh, I was fortunate enough, by the grace of God, to get an interview with him before he stopped doing interviews. There was an incident, I won't go into the details, where he was widely quoted as saying something and then uh, had to issue a clarification or a retraction the next day. And I guess the whole thing, uh, you know, was upsetting enough that he just decided his public ministry is over and he is no longer going to be doing interviews. Now, I hope he changes his mind on that because he's got so much to say and so much to contribute. But fortunately for us and, and for me, uh, I my interview with Eugene happened before all of that. And it's just so unfortunate, you know, that uh, things like that happen in, in, in the age that we live in. And uh, I mean, you can Google it if you were living under a rock and you didn't hear about it. But uh, it's just it's just too bad. It really is too bad because this is a guy who has lived an incredible life, who uh, I think his first book was called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I kind of feel like that's what Eugene Peterson has done. And he's been an incredible influence on me and uh, just an incredible life's work. And so we're going to get into that. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I have one regret from this interview. And it's not the question I asked. It was actually to do with just my pacing. And we'll talk about that with Mark Batterson and Adam Weber at the end of this episode. So I hope you really enjoy it. I have been so excited to be able to bring this to you. And once again, for those of you who subscribe, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for doing that. And you're getting this automatically in your inbox. And if you're not a subscriber, did you know you can do that for free anytime, just wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine off iTunes or wherever that happens to be, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play. Uh, it's free for you. So I want to thank some people who make it free for you. For example, do you know the Orange Tour and the good folks at Orange are part of the people who bring you this podcast? 
And this fall, we are going to be in something like 19 cities. We're finalizing the cities I'm going to be in. Uh, I think it's going to be probably about 10 or 12, maybe 13, including all of the cities that Andy Stanley is going to be in. So you can go to orangetour.org and you can register today. We are literally all over the country and we are coming to a neighborhood near you. It's a chance to talk about the legacy you're going to leave for the next generation, how to partner with parents and families, and uh, then Andy is doing a day ahead of the Orange Tour in five cities on his Deep and Wide Tour. That's brand new for him. I'll be at those tour stops as well, including Andy's day. Get all the information at orangetour.org and come out and hang out with us this fall. It's going to be awesome. It starts in September, wraps up in November. And then also want to really thank Trained Up. Man, they are helping so many churches train their volunteers better because the challenge that I think every church faces, and I face this, is how do you train your team? You try to get people together and then people get sick and they can't make it. Well, what if you took your training for your church volunteers and even your staff online? What if you did that? Uh, And you can do it in a variety of forms. If you check out trainedup.church, you can see that let's say you want to shoot your own videos. Well, you can do that. And then you just upload it to their portal and your volunteers go online, much like any online course or university course. And you can actually have the potential of training every single volunteer in your church this way, as opposed to, you know, the usual 30, 50% no-show rate you get if you try to do it on a Saturday that turned out to be way too sunny. And now all of a sudden, nobody's at your training event. So if you do it online, it's way better. So you can do your own stuff. Let's say you want to do your own stuff, but you don't have gear. Well, you can rent it from them. They'll even give you a script. And then if you're like, nah, I don't want to do any of that. I just want to train my volunteers. Well, they have done for you videos. So make sure you check that out at trainedup.church. They are fantastic people. Tell them I sent you. And uh, thank you to Trained Up for making sure that you continue to get this podcast every week for free. So without further ado, a great conversation with Eugene Peterson. And then, well, I'll uh, pick it up with Mark and with Adam in a few minutes. Well, it is an unbelievable thrill to have Eugene Peterson with me today. Eugene, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be able to interview you as I shared with you and, and with listeners. You have been leaving incredibly rich deposits in my life for decades now. And what a thrill to be able to do this. So you got a brand new book out. It's called As King Fishers Catch Fire. And uh, you, you start in the introduction by saying that when you were a young church planning pastor in 1962, you found a growing dissonance in your ministry. And so you labored, what you, you labored to find what you called congruence. Tell us about what you were experiencing in the early days of your leadership and how you moved through it. Well, I think... What I was experiencing is a is a kind of an innocence, um, mm-hmm. which which uh, was kind of spoiled, getting me spoiled. Um, my presbytery asked me to start a new church, right? And uh, I I never had a I've never been a pastor before, uh, but the uh, but they this was a, in a small little town in near Baltimore, um, Bel Air. And uh, it's, it was kind of a suburb of, um, of Baltimore, and uh, I had many people in my congregation. It was a small congregation, just 50, 60 or so, and uh, and then there were riots that were starting, and there was uh, and a lot of uh, violence going on in Baltimore. And my my parishioners were just getting all upset about everything. They, they were buying guns, and I had one man who was a very mild man. And he bought a 
about a 14-inch uh, wrench, had it in his, beside himself, and as he went into town to make sure he could had something protecting <laughs> protecting him. Wow! Wow! And uh, so um, the uh, and then my congregation, uh, they were getting all you know mad about all this, and uh, so I got mad. I, <laughs> hmm. I said to them, have, never, "Have you never read? You know, you're Presbyterians." <laughs> Have you never read anything uh, in Galatians? Well, Galatians was Paul's angriest letter. Yeah. And I was getting angry. And uh, so I just told him, you know, we can't do this. We're free. We we can't just hem ourselves in by other people's bad attitudes. And um, so uh, it didn't make any difference. <laughs> it didn't. <laughs> it felt like failure. And so I thought, so I thought well, I'll get together a bunch of men mostly the men who work in Baltimore. And uh, we'll just study study Galatians and find out what Paul thought about this. You're free, and you can't do this. And um, I had about 16 men uh, in that uh, room, and I, I always fixed a pot of coffee for them and mm. before they came in. And, um, and I, you've got to realize that I, mean, I was emotionally like, distraught. Yeah. And they were they were just... Afraid of what was afraid, afraid of what was going on in Baltimore, and uh, I was afraid of what was going on in their lives, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> so I started on Galatians, uh, and uh, it just you know I could tell it didn't make any difference. They were just stirring coffee, sugar in their coffee, and that kind of thing, and um, so uh, I left. I went back home after church. Told my wife. And it was, they were just paying any attention. Right. And she said, well, and then I said, I, I think I'll teach them Greek. If I taught them Greek, they'd get it. She said, that would really empty the place out fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So instead of um, teaching them Greek, I thought, well, I'd, I'd been studying uh, Semitic and Greek uh, for, uh, for a PhD. And so I had these, these other, these biblical languages pretty much um, I was pretty conversant with them, so I thought, well, I'll take I'll take these languages and I'll translate them into the vernacular, Baltimore vernacular, right, and uh, and see what happens. So I took a sheet of paper every week and um, and translated what I would think of as American vernacular mm-hmm. in their language. And uh, the week after I did that. As I was cleaning up afterwards, and all the coffee cups were cold. They'd, hmm. They were just infatuated by this new language <laughs> wow. that they'd never heard before. And uh, so that's what started it. And uh, and so I just kept doing that and kept doing that. And uh, finally, the riots stopped, but I didn't stop because I thought, well, I've got a whole congregation of people who doesn't know the language, the biblical hmm. language. And uh, so that's how it started. That's amazing. So that was the origin of the message, was it? That's the origin of the message. That's right. In the middle of the turmoil of the 1960s, as a young church planning pastor in Bel Air, Maryland, that's I. That is amazing. And you just, it, it, I think I, I read in an interview you did with someone else that it was like 20 years, over 20 years to write the message, maybe longer than that. That's right. Wow! Wow! What a labor of love, and 35 books as well, which is which is exceptional. On that note. 
you see things so differently than so many writers, thinkers, and theologians. And that's one of the things that's always been a gift to me. What are some of the habits and the disciplines and the rhythms that you have practiced over the course of your life in ministry that you think helped you hone the perspective that God has given you on life? Well, I think it's a complex question, really. Yeah. Um, books have always been important to me, and uh, uh, and I've you know, sought for books that gave me some in- inspiration or some guidance. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, you know, I never read the newspaper or very, you know, very superficially. Really? Huh. And uh, yeah, they and the newspaper wasn't a very big help in understanding God and Jesus. Right. Um, and so I think, but, but I also, I schooled myself in some of the, I just, what I realized were the great preachers and, and, uh, pastors in the past. Hmm. And, uh, Alexander White was the first one that I've discovered. He was, um, he was a pastor in Scotland, uh, in the, in the, well, 150 years ago, maybe more. Hmm. And, uh. And he was he was a great storyteller and uh, had a wonderful way of using words and the gospel. But so he would you also, just, how, how did you find him? How did you that that's a name I'm not even familiar with. I'm not sure a lot of people would be. Why why Alexander White? I'm just curious. Uh, I was reading. I was reading in the library and I found him. Huh? And he he was the most popular pet preacher in uh, in Scotland for um, a number of years. And so I just uh, well. Um, let me find out what he's doing. <laughs> and uh, he's a, he was a great storyteller, but not um, not not loose, not just being funny. Yeah. Um, but his students uh, just they they flocked to his church, you know, the ones in the seminary. And uh, one of them one day, uh, I think this is a wonderful story. Uh, said, uh, Doctor White, what's the most important thing for a pastor to do? And he paused for a minute and he said. Take a long vacation and relieve yourself as often as possible. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> That's the leading pastor in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> Take a long vacation and relieve yourself as often as possible. <laughs> That's great advice. Okay, so you love to read. That's one of the habits and, and, and disciplines. Is, yeah. You've been a lifelong reader. Any other, I mean, you, you talk about, is it Paul Turnier and others that really influenced you? Who, who are a few of the others that you would say, you know, they're on the top shelf of my library? Uh, well, Turnier was, was one of them, but he wasn't mm-hmm. a pastor. But um, I, I think uh, in my, my, a contemporary of mine was George Buttrick. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. When I went to seminary, uh, I wasn't planning on being a pastor. But I was, my seminary forced me to work in the church. So I just, I had to do it. it was, what, what were uh, you planning on being if you weren't going to be a pastor? A professor of languages. <sighs> gotcha. And um, so I was assigned to a, to a church, uh, well, his church, uh, the Presbyterian Church in uh, the center of, of, the, uh, of the city. Right. And I'd never heard preaching like that before. Just With David Buttrick, yeah. David Buttrick, or, yeah. Or George, sorry, David's his son. Yeah, George, George Buttrick, yeah. And uh, so I, was, I wasn't intended to do, attend church. I was, they made me the coach of the basketball team, <laughs> and so I thought that would take care of one of my, my obligations. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I went 
first Sunday I was there, I heard him preach, and he, there's nothing dramatic about him, uh, but he is so clear and so kind of matter-of-fact. Hmm. I later found out that um, who's the guy who, he writes novels, Beekner. Oh, yeah, Frederick Beekner. Yep. Frederick Beekner. Also so, a Presbyterian, I think. Right. And so I knew about him and uh, had read most of his books. And, uh, but he was there in church every Sunday with the man I was studying under an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Patrick, yeah. So, um, I let Beekner be, I didn't know him. I never met him. Uh, but I, uh, I kind of let him guide me in terms of the writers that are worth reading for people who are interested in, in life and just getting the truth of life. And so he was, he became an important part of my reading life, uh, and uh, so I just kind of went from one person to another. I never went to good schools, to tell you the truth. Right. Uh, you might cut that out of the, on the interview. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't the school so much. It was self-learning. That, uh... It was self-learning, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I would, you know, picked up along the way. I picked up people who knew, knew a lot more than I did. Yeah. And uh, I, so I, I just kind of picked them from my faculty. And, That's uh, great. So it wasn't so, like this big program or anything. It was just one led to another, led to another, led to another, and you never stopped. That's right. That's right. Hmm. One of the things I've heard you write about um, in the past, or I've, I've read from you in the past, is your Sabbath rhythm has been really important for you and your wife, Janice. And can you, can you tell us a little bit about your Sabbath rhythm, what you've done with it over the years, how you practiced it in ministry, and what it looks like these days? Uh, no, I can't think of his name. Was a, he was a uh, he was a Quaker. Quaker, okay. And uh, Jan and I, I'll think of it hopefully when this, as I talk. Uh, Jan and I, we were pretty new in this new church right development stage, and so we went to a, a retreat in the Poconos, hmm. and um, and this man was there leading the retreat. Uh, maybe you'll think of him, but anyway, he, he uh, there were about. 25 of us there, uh, 30 maybe. And uh, he told us that this was going to be a silent retreat. Wow. Well, that just about destroyed my, my wife. She's <laughs> like, to be silent for two days, three days. <laughs> and uh, so we started out, uh, I mean, I think I was fortunate in getting in finding people I didn't know, know anything about. Right. He said his, he had a friend who was, um, when he was growing up, who was um, specialized in men's retreats. And when he right. got people together in their retreat place, he made them open up their suitcases, and he confiscated all the whiskey. <laughs> and he said, you can have it back when, we, when you leave, if you still want it. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so silence and no whiskey. <laughs> so uh, anyway, he, he called us to into, into, his, into the silence of the retreat. And uh, so for a couple of hours in the morning and a couple of hours in the afternoon, we were just in silence. Mm. And uh, we weren't allowed to, we weren't, were not permitted to talk to anybody. And, uh, and one of the surprises to me is how good the food was. It just, you know, you began to see the food is beautiful and, and mm. the aromas were perfect and so there was kind of an introduction to a way of life which was not um, was not supported by uh, reason or mm. uh, or, or reason or um, 
except to take uh, emptier suitcases before you went on retreat. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just a, a different pace and a different rhythm that really different got you hooked. And a different pace yeah. and a very different trusting to silence. Mm. And uh, I never, I grew up Pentecostal and silence was not one of their big things. <laughs> So Pentecostal, anyway, who became a Presbyterian, who became right. almost monastic. I heard you say at one point that you were a monk in your head, right, in some ways. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, that started it. Yeah. And uh, we were there for three days, and we left different. Mm-hmm. And when we got home, we decided we would keep a Monday Sabbath. Every Monday we'd be on the Sabbath. And so when the kids, we, the, all our kids at that point were in school. And um, so after we fixed their lunches and sent them off on the bus, uh, we went to, this was in Baltimore now, and uh, the the environs of Baltimore are just beautiful uh, with their rivers and and brooks and uh, meadows. So we find we had plenty of room to walk in. And and so we'd go to some creek, usually, river, and uh, we'd already packed our lunches. And we would just walk for three hours. Mm. And uh, sometimes it was hard to not say something, but we we did pretty well. And then we'd stop and have lunch, pray, and uh, and then talk. Mm. Talk about the birds we'd seen. We were very avid bird birders. Yeah. And uh, and just um, and talk about Sunday. Sunday just passed, and uh, we did that for years and years and years. Uh, while the kids were still in school, and, um, and they 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 grew to appreciate it themselves. They they didn't have to do anything on Mondays. Right. They didn't have to make their bed. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the biggest thing right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's pretty exciting to an eight year old. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, but we did that for a long time, and and then when the kids left, um, we 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 revised that a little bit because of the the. Uh, our, our congregation was, had been growing, and yeah. we kind of rearranged our silence things. So, but anyway, that's how it started, and it's becoming. It was kind of a habitual thing to it. Uh, you know, we we didn't um, we didn't have to sit down and figure out what we were going to do. It would become kind of our uh, the habit of our life. But that mm. by that time, and so it it really did something to our whole lives, our married life, our pastoral life, and uh, people in the congregation started noticing. I never preached a sermon on Sabbath-keeping, yeah. but they they were observing and doing things, and it wasn't long before, I don't want to exaggerate, but maybe right. tenth, of, tenth of the congregation was, keep, was keeping a Sabbath also, and, uh, and it, you know, it picked up. People watched what other people were doing, and so I think it really changed my pastoral life, they, my relationship with my with my congregation, because one of the things I I think I've just picked up from uh, my my Quaker friend, yeah, uh, was uh, you don't you don't push the gospel down anybody's throat. Hmm. Uh, you <clears throat> you act it out yourself, and if they like it, they take it. If they don't, they don't. And so <clears throat> there was kind of a reversal of of technique instead of as a preacher, telling people what to do, uh, and letting them watch what you're doing. Yeah. And uh, so that's, that's just changed the whole tenor of my pastoral life. 
I can sense that. I sense that even in your voice and your in your rhythm. Can I ask you as a as a very prolific writer, um, how did did that impact or influence your writing at all? Like that that kind of rhythm, that space in your life. Do you think that your ability to write that often and that well was somehow related to your Sabbath rhythm? Uh, yes, it was, but it was not conscious. Hmm. Uh, I uh, I was writing. I was reading people who I admired yeah. or respect. Maybe I should say respected. And uh, so, no, I, I don't think I changed. Well, I changed because I was right, reading people that I admired. And um, But I didn't copy them. They, you know, you you can't copy somebody when you're being creative. Right. And, and uh, so that, that just kept things going for me. Hmm. So it was more reading other writers that got your pen moving? Is that it? That's right, yes. Yeah. yeah. And picking the right, right writers. Right. Uh, the uh, megachurch people didn't phase me, so I just ignored them. <laughs> and did did uh, did the slow work of of writing and thinking and praying. Um, speaking of leaders, I, I can't believe we're coming to the home stretch already, and I'm so grateful for the time you made available. We've got tens of thousands of leaders listening and thousands of young pastors. So. I've seen interviews that were shot on video at your place in Montana. Do you still have that place? It's absolutely gorgeous from what I've seen. Oh yes, we do. Yeah. 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 Uh, we're retired now. Yeah. So yeah. I don't I don't have a congregation. Right, right. Yeah, 25, 26 years retired. Yeah. Yeah. So I want you to imagine that you're sitting down with a young pastor, young senior pastor, young senior leader. He or she is with you at your kitchen table, at your place in Montana, and you're going to give them two or three nuggets of here's what you need to keep in mind as a young leader in the church today. What would you tell them? Um, I don't give nuggets. <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I have a lot of uh, young pastors who come and stay here. Yeah. Um, we used to have them stay overnight, but it, that got too much. Sure. But we have some great bed and breakfast here, and I just sent them down there, but um, no, I I think I I think I start by, by asking questions. Mm. And why do you like what you're doing, and what disappoints you? And uh, and they, you know, people are smart. Yeah. If they're not cluttered up by other stuff, and if you're mimicking somebody else, then it's you're, you're not a writer or mm. not a preacher. Uh, so I think the the years now that I've not had a congregation. I've been doing as much pastor work as I ever did, but it wasn't it wasn't an obvious thing. It was right. So you'd start by asking questions. Hmm. Yeah, just asking questions and commenting and commenting on their answers. And yeah, that's so a good I'm, way to learn. Uh, yeah, it's the way I learned. I learned from Buttrick, who didn't tell me what to do. I learned from um, the guy in Scotland uh, who did tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew White. Is that it? Yeah. 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 So that's. I think I was. I was. Uh, I was never a copier. I. I was. When I met people, I'd watch what they were doing, listen to them. Uh, so it's it's hard to know. I I think I was yeah. pretty self-taught in many ways. That's good to know. And well, you've you've literally taught millions through what you've done. I've got to just once again personally say thank you. And, and I think I can be so bold on behalf of all the leaders listening, church leaders listening. Thanks so much for an unbelievably rich 
um, Heritage and Legacy. Your new book is King, uh, Kingfisher's Catch Fire, a collection of 49 of your sermons. Well worth reading. And I think there's a devotional coming out next year. Is that right? One more thing? There it is, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, Eugene Peterson, thank you so much for being with us today. You're, you're welcome. You've made it very easy for me. That was just so rich with Eugene Peterson, and, and what a privilege. Man, I would like to go to his place in Montana and just hang out for a day, as I'm sure all of you would at this point. So if you want show notes for this or the conversation that's going to follow, I'll tell you where you can find them. You can find it at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 152, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 152. That's too much for you to remember. Go to leadlikeneverbefore.com. That'll take you to my site. And uh, just in the top right corner is a search bar. Type in Eugene Peterson. Boom, you'll find it. There are the show notes. And I want to let you know, I, I, I just thought, okay, how do, we, how do we make this even more than an interview? So I thought, well, let's sit down with Mark Batterson and Adam Weber, and we'll have a conversation about Eugene's legacy. And this went in some great places, including some places I wasn't expecting it to. So Mark is a, a great guest on this podcast. We just love him. He'll be back again later this fall. Uh, but he serves as the lead pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C. It is a fantastic church. Whenever I'm there, I feel like I'm home. They're just my kind of people. Uh, they have, I think, eight locations. He's got numerous New York Times bestselling books. He's written oh, more books than I'll ever read, I think. And his new one, Whisper, releases in October. And then Adam has also been a guest on this podcast. Again, links to all those episodes are in the show notes. He's a lead pastor of Embrace Church, and he lives in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, they are, uh, man, he's got a great book called Talking to God, his first. He's working on his second book, and his church is just exploding. It is the fastest growing in one of the largest United Methodist churches in the United States, and uh, they're in four locations in two states. So how cool is that? So here's my little roundtable with Mark and Adam. Well, it's a lot of fun to sit down today with uh, Adam Weber and Mark Batterson. So welcome, guys. It's good to be on. Just honestly, just uh, honored and privileged to be a part of the conversation. Yeah, love love chatting, Carrie. Always fun. Um, so all of us have kind of accessed Eugene Peterson's writings and, and works over the years. You're both authors, you're preachers, and, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine. He's in a, a very small category of people who have almost universally influenced almost every pastor, in, including both of you. Uh, Mark, you actually had a chance to meet him, didn't you, in person? Yeah, there was a wonderful gathering retreat in Colorado a year ago, and it was my first time meeting him. And, you know, he said some profound things, Kerry, but what I remember was his smile. I, I thought to myself, here's a guy that's been in ministry, you know, 50 plus years and certainly taken his fair share of licks like any pastor. Oh yeah. But he's still smiling. And that's what got me. Uh someone that's still smiling at the end of the game and you could see kind of that that glimmer of joy and you know, he he doesn't um walk quite as fast. Actually, he was a runner and that inspires me cuz I'm training for a marathon right now. But <laughs> yeah. uh you know, there was just something about his spirit that uh, really blessed me, because uh, I think when you meet someone, you bump into their spirit before you actually meet the person, and that's what I, I felt when I met Eugene. Hmm. 
That's cool. And Adam, you haven't had the opportunity to meet him, have you? I haven't. No, for no, me, me it's neither. been for me it's been just through his writings, and I picked up and connected with him through his books as a freshman in college is when I began to try to get through the Bible and really understand what it was trying to say. And so use the the message right beside my other Bible and just began to go through the entire word and just connect with him there. And then my very first semester in seminary, <clears throat> my uh, one of my favorite professors gave me his book, The Contemplative Pastor. Hmm. And I can remember picking up that book and I was new. I had no idea what it meant to be a pastor. And yet Eugene, the thing I appreciate about his heart is he's a pastor's pastor. Yeah. And really just speaks to the pastor and just began to really see what the heart of a true pastor looks like. So that that's where I first encountered him. You know, it's it's interesting you mentioned his disposition, and then I want to get into the pastor's pastor. But um, I think it's in the message where he translates that one of the benedictions, I think it's in the book of Romans, and he says, I want you to be alive, fresh, and celebrating when you're presented before Jesus. And it's so cool that when you met him, that was your... Um, perception of him, which I, which I think is, is great, Mark. Um, so let's talk about being a pastor's pastor. Both of you lead larger churches, multi-site churches. Is it eight campuses now, Mark, uh, yeah, for eight, NCC? Yeah, eight campuses uh, in and around D.C. And, uh, you know, it's funny, Kerry, because one of my little mantras is that the, the blessings of God will complicate your life. <laughs> you know, it doesn't get any easier. It gets harder. But I think that's right. that's the blessing. And that's the Lord entrusting you with something. And, uh, you know, it's of all of Eugene's writings, um, including, you know, the book that Adam mentioned, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, a yeah. few others that really had a profound impact on me. Really, it's his memoir, The Pastor, that mm. just hit me um, right in the forehead because I, I took my first sabbatical about 17 years in, which was about 10 years too late. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I was, I was running on low mm. and um, I needed that three months to recalibrate and recreate. And one of the books I read and I read 77 books in those three months oh, because I love to read. Oh, oh. But honestly, the, the memoir, The Pastor, is the book that had the most profound impact on me. And in fact, I had all of our campus pastors read it because it, it reminded me of this special calling and this special gifting called pastor. And, you know, sometimes when you pastor a larger church, um, your role changes and it becomes a little bit more apostolic, mm-hmm. but it reminded me of, of what it means to be a pastor and, and the pure joy and privilege uh, that it is to serve in that capacity. So uh, that book just had a profound impact on me. What were one or two insights you pulled away from the pastor that kind of, you know, drilled right through the heart? Yeah, I love how he talks about pastoral imagination. This idea, because one of our core convictions is that the church ought to be the most creative place on the planet. Yeah. And so I think that really inspired me. I, I think there are ways of doing church that no one's thought of yet. And it was a healthy reminder that, you know, we didn't come up with that idea. You know, Eugene and others in the generation before me uh, were doing that. And 
and then I think his his honest conversation about rhythm, Carrie, that that's what huh. hit me because I, I think he he tells a story about his daughter who was keeping track of how many nights in a row he had been gone. And I'm just I'm pulling this from memory, but I think it was like sure. said, Dad, you've been gone 27 nights in a row. And and how that that was a game changer for Eugene. And because, hmm. you know, one of my mantras is I, I want to be famous in my home. And yeah. it's hard to be famous in your home if you're not home. And so <laughs> yeah. that, that little story that Eugene told just really struck a chord. And it helped me recalibrate when I came out of that sabbatical. In fact, by, by the way, my wife, who is uh, uh, so wise and so beautiful and such a straight shooter, she said uh, at the beginning of that sabbatical, she said, you know, you can't come back in the same door that you walked out. And what she meant by that is we've got to make some rhythm adjustments, some calendar changes. And the pastor, that book and, and Eugene's example really helped us do that. Is that when you cut back to something like a dozen nights out a year for outside ministry assignments? It, I, had, I had started redrawing some of those boundaries. I think I was back to a dozen. And next year, Carrie, and this is in part because we have a pretty big uh, building campaign coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, in 2018, I'll only do 12 overnight speaking trips, which for me is dialing way back. But yeah. uh, again, just the inspiration of some people who have been there and done that, maybe made a few mistakes that can keep me from making the same mistake in my life in ministry. How about for you, Adam? What um, what book or books? I mean, how many has he written? I'll, I'll get this right in the intro extra to the episode eventually, but like 27? I don't know. Man, he's written a lot of books. So which ones popped for you? For me, it was the same exact book, The Pastor. Yeah, I, I read that book and picked it up. Um, Carrie, I think last time I was on, talked about my season of burnout that I went through. Mm-hmm. And so I was at a pretty broken place. And when I picked up that book, it just kind of helped me recenter what it looks like and means to be a pastor. Um, and I think God wires all of us differently. And I think gives us different giftings and just even motors inside of us. Like it just is different. I'm, I'm a person that tends to be constantly going and doing and going I just have a heart to tell one more person about Jesus. I mean, that's my driver in life like this. I just want to tell one more person. And to to sit with Eugene through his book and just, man, that's that steady pace, that relaxed, peace-filled. I mean, he I feel like he's sitting beside still waters every day. It's just so different than me that I, I felt like it pulled me back to a healthy center of just man, okay, Weber, that's great that you like want to go reach the world for Jesus, but you might want to just sit at his feet a little bit. And you might want to just come to know the heart of God. And again, during that season, it was, a, it, I, no, nothing sin-wise was in my life. I was just, I was just a shell of a person. And so between a combination of just sitting with God and, and picking up that book, it was just so different than most books I would pick up and read. And so when I even got it, I was like, man, I don't feel like I've read a book like this since seminary. And then as I began to read it, I just found myself 
it was just cool to hear his story and him becoming a pastor and how he had been shaped. I felt like I, and I was, I was sitting with just an older person who had been around the block a few more times than this guy had. And so that's, that's what it was for me. That book, no question with the exception of maybe the message translation has had the greatest impact on me. You know, Adam, um, you can't fake experience, can you? (laughs) (laughs) So true. It, it, that's what, the book just oozed this life of experience. And do you remember the one line, Adam, where he said at one point, he said, my outside was bigger than my inside. Yeah. That, mm. wow. Um, I, I think uh, any pastor listening to this understands that because, you know, Carrie, it's such a challenge to keep the ax sharp and to make sure that you know that you're not that your devotional time isn't devoted to sermon prep um mm. that your life doesn't revolve around you know that the challenge is none of us have an off switch in ministry and it's so nope. hard um but but there again you know i i took incredible inspiration and i I don't know how you get away adam or or you carrie but you know the fact that he had this little place that he could go back to eugene and his wife in montana there's something about that i mean look at how many times in the gospels jesus withdrew he withdrew he withdrew you know he went to the mountains or went to the lake i I make no apologies for that in part because i I live in the city. But, yeah, uh, you do. You live you right know, in D.C. Finding that rhythm is so key. You've got that place, don't you, Adam? I do. Yeah, we have a. It's about a hundred miles north. We had this little little lake cabin, and I got it. Um, my father-in-law was a pastor, and he. Um, I thought for my ministry, I would live in a parsonage, and he did the same for him. And so he said, Adam, when you retire someday, somebody's not going to come up and buy you a house. So he encouraged me just to find something small. So I ended up getting this little piece of property. I think we paid fifteen thousand for it on a lake, and that <laughs> That's great. that felt that felt like five hundred thousand at the time. I'm like, we don't have anything. What are we doing? <laughs> and then my brother-in-law is a carpenter. He ended up building this tiny little cabin. But there's something about there's something about for me there's something about mountains or water that's just good for the soul. I mean, just kind of reminds you of the greatness of God, and more than that, even maybe just the stars at night being able to get out of the city lights and see that it just kind of reminds you like, God is so much greater. Hey Weber, like, it's awesome. I want to use you. Uh, but I, I, I think I got this figured out. Like, you know, like you don't, it, the world does not rest on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. And so getting that time just to be still. And even for my kids, one of the things I found about them, especially during that season, I'm at a much healthier place now, but during that season, whenever they, we'd go out there as a family to the cabin their eyes just came alive because they knew that dad was there. And mm-hmm. like, I mean, he wasn't, he, my cell phone doesn't work very well there. And so you get to see that, man, dad's tuned into us and um, it shouldn't take that, but it was, it, it's such a, it's such a powerful thing. That was one of the things I, as I was reading that, I just kept thinking about my own cabin as I was going through Eugene's book. I'm like, man, there's something about that. So it's it's great to have a space and place, and uh, I don't have a second home, but I've kind of done that with my backyard, you know? I'm a little finicky, and it's sort of a retreat area, a sanctuary, a summer office, and uh, 
Man, there is something about space that has a sacred dimension to it that I think Eugene Peterson uh, taps into again and again in his writings. Now, you both mentioned The Pastor is the most influential book. So uh, one of the things that I think, you know, we get into this whole shepherd versus rancher, you know, leader of a large organization versus a pastor of a small church. And Eugene Peterson has said publicly, I don't think his church ever got, you know, three, four, five hundred. It wasn't huge or a mega church. But he wonders how you stay a pastor in that large church setting. But I think I know both of you well enough to say you both have very strongly pastoral hearts, and yet you lead larger organizations. I mean, thousands of people on a Sunday morning, eight campuses. How many for you, Adam? Is it four or in multiple states? We have six. Um, six. One on, one of One's online and one is in Minnesota. So most of them are local here. But then we yeah. have one on the east side of the Twin Cities. Yep. That's amazing. And I mean, so these are these are large churches. They're growing. They're reaching a lot of people. How do you guys navigate that tension between being a pastor and being a leader? For starters, Carrie, you know, the only time I could really pastor everybody in our church was probably the first year when we averaged 25 people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I felt like I could literally pastor all of them. Uh, honestly, once you get to 100, 200 people, you can't pastor everybody. And so, you know, even a church of, of four or 500, what you have to do is raise other people up with that pastoral gifting. And so mm. all that's changed over the years is just who I pastor. You know, at first it was oh, okay. the entire 25 people that were coming. Now, you know, our staff is about 55, 60 people. You know, I'm, I'm pushing my limits to just pastor our staff. Mm -hmm. um, so what happens then is it just kind of changes who you're pastoring. The one thing that I would say is if I have an opportunity to meet with someone who is uh, unchurched, who is uh, never crossed the line of faith, um, I've got to keep those kind of people in my life because otherwise I lose my edge. You know, yep, yep. I, I I love, you know, I love and live for those moments. In fact, one of our mantras as a church is like, we exist to start parties in heaven. Well, yeah. what, what starts parties in heaven when one sinner repents? And so there's nothing like pastoring a person across the line of faith. And so, um, you know, you've got to find ways not to get insulated and inoculated um, and I'm not saying this is easy. And, and I would even say that I'm as called um, to be apostolic as I am to be pastoral. Um, and finding that balance is not easy. But, uh, you know, the big thing is you just have a, a big heart for people. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and you lead with love. And when you lead with love, then I think that's the, the first step to really effective pastoring. How about for you, Adam? How do you navigate that? We can just we can just end with Mark's answer. I thought that was perfect. <laughs> no, for me, it's kind of crazy, and everybody's everybody's different. Um, I actually feel more like a pastor now with six campuses and whatever than I did when we first started. Let me explain that. When we yeah. first started, and it's always interesting. Now we 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 don't hear this often for some reason. The grace of God is just. I think the Lord realizes we're so simple, so we need all the help we can get. So we don't have a lot of people coming out of the woodwork hating and stuff. But it's easy to look at a big church and say they're all about numbers. 
Mm-hmm. When honestly, I, I you know I look at numbers every so often of just seeing how we're growing that kind of thing. But when I, we first started, I was consumed with numbers. I mean, as a new pastor, consumed. My, I mean, dri- my driving force was Jesus, and slightly behind it was numbers. Yeah. And why I say that is because we needed numbers just to survive. Mm. I mean, to be financially like to pay our bill, like we needed numbers. And so I feel more pastoral now than I did when we started out. And it's exactly what Mark said of raising people up. Um, I, th- I think uh, so often as pastors, we cripple the body of Christ and actually be in the body of Christ because we try to be all things to all people instead of like, no, um, man, who's to say to the foot that they're not needed and to the, to the ear? You know what I mean? We'd, we need everybody in the body of Christ to, to be risen up and um, I feel like I'm probably at the thinking of Eugene Peterson. I'm probably at the slowest pace that I've been in years, just as far as a heart, as far as my heart pace of just, man, Lord, I want to be, I want to be connected with you and I want to be connected with people. Even my wife and I, we've been intentionally like just really praying and, and intentionally building true community in our life of, man, I want to, I want to share life with other people. And I, I want that for the entire body of Embrace Church. And so we've just been encouraging that, the fact that we're the priesthood of all believers. And man, God is able to use you and you praying for your, your brother and you helping your brother just as much or even more so than me. So I think that understanding of um, what it means to be pastoral even, that's something all of us as followers of Jesus are, are called to do. And I think when we understand that there's something powerful that can take place, one of the most connected churches I've ever attended um, was when I was in seminary, we went to Southland Christian, John Weiss's church in Kentucky. And um, that we went to a small group night. We were brand new to the area. And there's this room with hundreds of people. It was kind of like mm. the craziest situation ever. But we came in for a small group's night, met our small group. They were complete strangers. And to this day, uh, we stay in contact with many of them. Uh, and I'm like, man, that and we were so connected. We we would have to pick a column in the entryway to find so we could find each other. And then we'd go sit in together. But I mean, it was the, some of the tightest community Becky and I have ever had in our life and really felt pastored and shepherded by our small group leader, a guy my age. He was a teacher. Now he's actually a pastor. It's crazy. Um, but man, we felt so cared for and, and just poured into from him. So yeah, that's it's crazy. I don't think size of church matters. It's um the, your heart and and how you approach ministry, which is huge. It's interesting the way you phrased it, Adam. You know, you talked about you've never felt slower on the inside, and and that's something that resonates with me. And Mark, you said at the beginning, you know, that Eugene Peterson said in the Pastor, which is a book I actually don't have in my library. I'm going to order it when we're done. Um, but that he was bigger on the outside than he was on the inside. I don't know whether you guys see this or not, but. My life has probably never been faster on the outside than it is right now, but I have probably never felt slower on the inside. And that has been, I've been trying to slow things down, trying to spend less time in the busy, less time in the weeds, more time praying, reflecting, reading, just pacing myself. And, and it seems the better I get at that, the faster things grow and the more they, the faster they go. Um, <laughs> But I mean, if I was trying to keep up with my life the way it is on the outside, I think I'd be, you know, dead in a month. Um, so I don't know that that has anything to do with it. But some of that is, you know, the legacy of Peterson. So let's talk about your preaching. In what ways 
uh, if any, have Eugene's patterns of thought, his writings, his insight, his, his, even his pacing, the way he is, um, impacted you in the way that you preach? You know, Carrie, I, I would say that uh, his writing has impacted me more than his preaching, because much of hmm. his preaching would have be, been in the pre-podcast or, right. you know, and, and sometimes when, uh, when someone has books readily accessible, you, you might not even need to access their preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a writer, I'd like to think I'm an exception to that. right it's kind of weird that's true like my what i write has been read many more times than what i preach has been listened to it's just true yeah well and you know so what i'm getting at is uh you know i've i've certainly been impacted by some of his messages but really it's eugene peterson as a writer that, that you know had profound impact on me because I feel as called to write as I do to pastor. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, the first few books, the first few years, I was a pastor author. But at some point, you know, probably with the circle maker, I think something flipped and I, I, I'm probably an author pastor. And, and that's yeah. I have to be careful because, um, you know, one of my dreams is to pastor one church for life. And, and, and we can talk about that a little bit if you want. That really is inspired by the idea of a long obedience in the same direction, yeah. the title of one of Eugene's books. And uh, not just Eugene's example, you know, 29 years at the same church, but, um, you know, having a father-in-law who pastored a church for 31 years, um, yeah. I just believe in deep roots. And if you plant yourself in one place and you're obedient, um, you can bear some fruit in ways that, that wouldn't be possible with the shorter tenure. So uh, that's a little bit of rambling, but I'm just so grateful because I didn't know if I would be able to do both. And I'll, I'll be honest, it's not easy. And both of you guys know that to be true mm-hmm. because, you know, you're, you're pastoring and, and writing. And, and Carrie, I know you're in a little different season but I mean, throw the, the podcast in there. That's a that's a full time job. So all of us are wearing multiple hats and that's yeah. not easy to do. But I think I saw something in Eugene that that made me believe it was possible, you know, and others like Max Lucado and, and oh, yeah. you know, those oh, yeah. who have, have written and pastored. And so uh, I guess I'm just so grateful for that example from his life. And that certainly has had a profound impact on me. Let's talk about that, because all three of us, the one thing we have in common is, you know, sort of one church. I know we were all involved in something before we started what we're, we're doing. But, um, you know, Adam, how long for you at Embrace? It's coming up this September on 11 years. Yeah, so that's legit. I mean, that's, that's longer than the average tenure. And Mark, how many years for you now? 11 years is nothing. Just get, I'm just getting this thing started. I, yeah. Adam, I didn't even I didn't even know what I was doing 11 years in. <laughs> we're uh, we're at 20, Carrie. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, uh, That's hard actually, to believe. Hard, hard, hard to, to believe. believe. And yeah, I'm 22 I'm, in the same community. Uh, different church. We we morphed 10 years ago, but uh, same people actually. So I, I counted as one. I counted as a consistent ministry. What, in your views, are the ups and the downs, the trade-offs and staying in the same place for a long time? What about for you, Adam? Man, man. Wow, that's a, that's a good question. 
Um, the the ups is just seeing God's faithfulness uh, for me and knowing what we've where we've been, like knowing the story of embrace inside and out um, is something that's so powerful to see and truly having a love for your people and know, knowing like their story, like a lot of the people's story and where they've been from. And man, I, I married that couple and I've, I've, I've baptized them and you know, like you, it's not just this, you know, we kind of know it's like, no, I, you, you're my family. And so I think just seeing the faithfulness of God, because for us, three years in, we were almost closed because we weren't growing. And yeah. then we had explosive growth. We went to morning services and exploded. And so even that history, uh, it, I just love that part of our story. I would never wish that on anybody, but it was so good for us. And so I'd say just the faithfulness and being able to see God work and also being able to consistently run after the same vision instead of changing every other year or every three years kind of shift in directions. It's like, no, this has really been our heartbeat. And so we're just going to continue to run after it. Um, gosh, the, the, the downside of it might just be <clears throat> part of like part of any family or part of community. You got history and yeah. maybe, that, maybe, <laughs> maybe that, you know, it's like, what is the downside of family reunions is maybe a good question to ask. (laughs) 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 But like, I, I would say that's the, there's, for me, there hasn't been any downsides. Like, honestly, like I'm so grateful for this church and just the hand and faithfulness of God through it has been amazing. Yeah. I mean, Adam, don't you think, you know, one of the, one of the challenges, at least from my vantage point is, you know, at this point, and part of it is our turnover. You know, we're in Washington, D.C. with the church that's 50 percent, 20 something oh, transients. Gosh. I mean, we have a new church every three years. Yeah. So um, here's the reality. I-, I wouldn't need to preach a new sermon for the rest of my life. <laughs> I could just I have so many sermon files. I could go back. And and I think the great danger, Carrie, and, and this I, uh, you know, I hope people hear this. I think it most it, it, at some point, most leaders stop doing ministry out of imagination and start doing ministry out of memory. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the moment that you're going to stop growing. And if you stop growing, then whatever it is you're leading is going to stop growing. So here's what I'm cognizant of. I'm not capable of leading National Community Church two years from now in my current state of growth and maturity. I've got to continue to grow and mature. And I, I think that's the challenge. And it just so happens that like StrengthsFinder, um, I come back a trailblazer. And what that means is I get bored easily. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we need something. We're about to open our dream center here in D.C. Um, but I promise you, you know, the day it opens, I'm thinking about what's next. And so one yeah. of the joys of, of <laughs> having a, a, uh, a longitude uh, to ministry and, uh, is that you can keep that entrepreneurial streak alive in different ways, especially with multi-site um, and, uh, you know, maybe that's beyond the scope of this uh, of this podcast. But I, I think that's the joy of pastoring one church for a long time, that um, that history does give you the ability to continue to imagine and try different things. And, and the reality is 
yes, some credibility, yes, some street cred 11 years in or 20 years or 22 years that then allows you, if you can overcome this tendency towards the status quo, to continue to experiment and take risks and and leverage um, more people and more finances and ways for the kingdom. And and uh, I, I think that's the biggest upside. Um, I, I agree with that. And I know here 22 years, um, for me, it's I'm a different person than I was. And you kind of work out all your junk. I, I like your family metaphor, right? Like if I'm moving every five years, my growth can happen in the cracks. But um, my mistakes, my pitfalls, my flaws, my growth as a human being and follower of Jesus has happened in public with the same people uh, over really half a lifetime, you know, half a generation, 22 years uh, as an adult. And it's like, yeah, it's just, you know, all the cracks, you know, it's kind of like a marriage that way, right? It's like, but you yeah. love each other and you get through it, which is beautiful. And that that's something I've pulled from Eugene Peterson is like, there's not really much of a mask. It's just what you see is what you get. And you stick around long enough and that's what you're stuck with, right? Like like they see the real Mark. They see the real Adam. And it's yeah. beautiful because if God's grace grows you as it is, I think, in your lives and hopefully in mine, then it's an opportunity to see the gospel on display, uh, not only in your life, but in, in many others over time. Adam, how about... Um, Eugene's impact in terms of his writing on your preaching or your writing? Oh, good question. The, the two things I came down to is uh, there's a, 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 a fellow in my life who just passed away this, this last summer um, who reminds me of a similar breed as Eugene. Um, he passed away 95 years old, this, this legendary pastor in the area that became dear friends of mine. And, and um, I, I just, I, I saw him as something of like, that's that's what and again he's not perfect whether it's my friend roger or eugene they're not perfect but it's like gosh the end goal of what it looks like to be a follower of jesus is this Mm. like this is this is a great picture of the end goal of what we're looking at as far as what it looks like to be a disciple and follower of jesus and i think that is what impacted my preaching because so often even for myself it's like what does it look like to be a follower of jesus you know if it's just according to me, it's like, gosh, that person who's kind of running like a crazy man, <laughs> doing the next thing, trying to reach one more person. I, I, I resonate so much with Paul, the Apostle Paul in Acts. I, I read through Acts and my blood pressure like goes up, like it's not good for my health. <laughs> but so, so then I look at someone like Eugene, I'm like, man, like just kind of an end goal. That's what it looks like. And so I think just having that end goal in mind when I'm, when I'm preaching has been a huge impact. And also just this deep love for the word. And just the the Bible and just its beauty and its just its depth. I think those two things is what has impacted me the most. Of like, gosh, I want to see the word this in a similar way that Eugene sees it. Of just this this story that has so much power, and we come to know the Savior at the center of all of it. Um, I, again, as a freshman in college, I, there were so many things I didn't understand. I was I was reading through the Bible. And so I'd pick up the message, like, I don't know what it's trying to say. Like, I honestly really don't know what it's trying to say. And so I'd look through that to help understand it. And I, I think those are the things that shape me the most with, with Eugene. I actually just kind of off that, I just read through the book of Romans using the New Living Translation. And um, I don't think it's ever come alive more 
powerfully for me. I, I read through Romans and it felt like it was my first time through. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> so, I love it. I, I love it when you're switching up translations. I'm a big NLT fan, New Living Translation. Oh. And I just switched from that to the message and it's doing the same thing. Uh, Popping for me. Mark, you've written a lot. Any shaping on your writing as an author? Well, I, I love uh, what Eugene says um, about writing. And he's actually, uh, I think this is William Faulkner who he cites, but uh, he says, uh, writing is like building a chicken coop in a high wind. You grab any board or shingle flying by or loose on the ground and nail it down fast. (laughs) (laughs) That is brilliant. That is great. I like that. I like that imagery. Um, because uh, and there's there's a there's a biblical reality to to it as well. You know, Second Corinthians ten five, take every thought captive and make it mm. obedient to Christ. It's those shingles flying, and you got to nail them down fast <laughs> when you get uh, one of those God ideas. But uh, knowing how prolific Eugene has been over the years um, it makes me think. I I don't know how he captured all of that because he started. Uh, before the computer age, right? Oh yeah. So I'm thinking to myself, I he he might have written a book by writing, actually writing. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's just unfathomable to me. Horrible. Uh, horrible. And uh, so I, I think seeing how many books he's written certainly inspired me. Um, that this is something that. Uh, not just going to write a one-off or, or two or three books because it, it's a calling. And so yep. I think seeing how prolific he's been has given me hope uh, that, that maybe there are more books inside me. I'm, I'm sure there are, Mark, and, and I hope so. <laughs> I hope so as a reader <laughs> as well. I hope so. One of the things that I think we've all got, and Eugene Peterson's one of them, I had 30 minutes with him, Mark, you had an afternoon with him, and, and the rest of us have read him. I was really challenged. I said to you guys in an email, one of my goals is to become a great interviewer. And the thing is, I listened back to the interview with Eugene, and sure, we were on a phone, we didn't have video, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't see who he was, but my pace was too fast. I needed to slow down. I needed to listen more. And I think I could have just said hello, let him talk for 27 minutes, and then said thank you at the end. And I would have probably been richer. But there is a pacing. There is a uh, a thoroughness of thought. There are pauses as he reflects. And I'm like, gosh, that is that is so powerful. I, I, I would have done a better job if I had just said less and listened more. And I didn't say a lot. And I find that often dealing with, you know, mentors in our lives or people who might have a couple of decades on us that for me, I'll sometimes go in with too many questions. Well, you need to go in with questions, but the wrong questions. And I don't listen enough. I talk too much. What what are some disciplines? Because you have Dick Foth in your life, um, Mark. And, um, you know, Adam, I'm, you've talked about a, a gentleman who passed away. But what are some practices you've seen when you get around a giant or even somebody who's not famous, but just a great leader who's got a few decades on you? What are some good practices you've discovered for making those moments the best they can be? Yeah, uh, for me, um, again, what I, I, I mentioned him, Roger comes to mind. Listening and then listen and listen some more mm-hmm. and ask questions here and there when appropriate. 
um, the biggest thing, don't try to impress the person. Yes. And don't don't verbally give them, hand them your resume as you're sitting with them. Um, be the be the person who's quick to listen and quit, set a, quick to speak. I've seen that in different settings where all of a sudden there's kind of a who's who in the room and everybody's just peppering them with questions instead of just kind of being still and listening. And with someone like a Eugene or even like a Roger in my life, this is and this might not be good advice in with certain people. There was something about just being in their presence and not really saying anything at all. Like if you have a close relationship, I can remember one time Roger um, shared at Embrace, we'd have to help him up the stairs. I mean, get people on both sides, they have to get up in his chair. And between services, he's the only speaker that when he came, there would be a line of people outside his room wanting to talk with him. And so we, he'd be, he was the only speaker we've ever had that we've had to like block off the entire area because people would not leave him alone. But the wow. one time I, the one time I was with him and it was just him and I, and we were in the, we, I turned my lights off cause he was trying to rest and it just kind of had that awkward silence. And I said, Roger, I think I'm going to leave, I'll just leave you here by yourself. And he said, Adam, I, I don't mind your presence. And we just sat there and d- just smiled at each other. And there was something so holy about that moment of like, man, we don't, you don't have to, when you get around those people, you don't have to even speak, just be still with them, especially if there's a closeness in a relationship, just be still and hang out and don't feel like you need to fill the space with words. That's a good word. You know, that hand them your resume. I used to do that so much when I was a young leader. Gosh. It would be like, wow, I get a chance to meet Adam or Mark. And it'd be like, well, I lead this church and I do this and this. And now I just like, now I just shut up. But that's a, <laughs> that's a learned behavior. <laughs> Mark. Yeah. You know, in, in 20 years of ministry, just this past week had probably one of the most memorable evenings. Uh, you mentioned Dick Foth, who's been a spiritual father to me for 20 years. In fact, our core group of 19 people, our first Sunday, uh, Dick and Ruth were two of them. Mm. And, uh, you know, he, he took me under his wing and he's now 75. And when we do our campus pastor retreat for two days, I always invite Dick Foth and we have very little agenda. So one night we're, uh, we're at a lake, we're on a pontoon boat, and he just starts telling stories and the sun goes down um, and there's actually an electrical storm uh, that uh, casts some pretty uh, fantastic lights on the lake. And both is telling story after story after story. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, this is the closest I'm ever going to come to feeling like one of those disciples on the Sea of Galilee listening to Jesus tell stories. And, you know, I think it started, Carrie, with if we don't honor the generation that went before us, then we don't give the generation that went before us the, the opportunity to affirm the generation that comes after them. And so, so I, I really think it starts with younger pastors giving honor where honor is due. And that's certainly a biblical concept. Honor your elders, uh, honor leaders. But I don't know that I see it in the American church to the degree that we could or should. In fact, I'll just go on record and share one of my frustrations. Almost every conference I see, it's always the latest and the greatest. And it's and it's usually a younger pastor. And sometimes I've been that pastor. And I get that. Like, you know, it's almost like who's hot or who's in or who's it right now. And I just, 
I don't know. We've got to have more voices that are more seasoned and tenured that can speak from experience. Because I'll tell you this, one of the big things I've learned, pendulum swings. And Mm. it goes back and forth theologically, methodologically. And, you know, we think that we're coming up with new stuff. We are not. We are just reinventing what the generation before us did. And uh, if we would take 10 seconds to listen to them, we would learn a thing or two that would actually help us with our um, new idea, quote unquote. (laughs) (laughs) That's so so good. um, You know, I I think just uh, I'm so grateful for spiritual fathers and and I want to be one uh, to other people in my life. By the way, I have to share this one little um, thing. Cause I, I think, you know, your listeners will enjoy this. It's such a great, great thing that folk does. Cause he's the ultimate question asker. Mm. I mean, he can ask questions. It'll get to the heart of the issue. But what I love is every time I see him, uh, he doesn't ask me how he's, how I'm doing. He says, how's Laura doing? Because <laughs> he knows how my wife's doing is probably a really good indication <laughs> of how I'm doing and how I'm doing as a husband. So uh, there you go. Ask, don't just ask how the person is doing. Ask how their spouse is doing and, and you'll get an even better answer. That's fantastic. All right. This has been so rich, guys. Thank you so much for this. Got to ask you one more question. If you could ask or have asked Eugene anything, what would you have asked him? Well, I, I'll, I'll take a shot at it. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I'm going to sort of answer your question, Carrie, because I go back to that experience where some of us spent, you know, an afternoon with Eugene. And would it be OK if I share one little thing that he shared, one story totally. that is really it's had a profound impact on me? And I just feel like it would be a sin of omission not to share this. Would, would that be OK? Let's do it. Let's do it. OK, so he tells this story about sitting on the deck of his house overlooking the lake in Montana where he lives. And he's watching a kingfisher and you know, it's a, it's a type of bird, obviously a kingfisher and it's trying to catch its prey. And Eugene just sits there and he counts the number of attempts. And, and he said it took 37 tries to catch a fish. And then Eugene, in this kind of classic understatement, says, and he's the kingfisher. (laughs) And and then he follows it up with the question, how many times have you tried? And it was just this drop the mic moment that how many of us try something 37 times? You know, we, we give up too quickly. We give up too easily. And at the end of the day, it's about a long obedience in the same direction. And that little story has inspired me since the day I heard it. And uh, I love sharing it. That's a, that's a powerful story. Adam, would you have asked him anything if you could sit down with him? What would you ask him? I'd have to ask him two questions. My first question would be a shallow question. Can I come stay at your cabin just for a one night? <laughs> Please, can I just, I'll stay in the attic if I need yeah. to. But no, the question I would want to ask him was the same question I'd often ask my friend Roger. Just what are you currently learning about God? Like mm-hmm. there's something about um, when you've been following Jesus that long, it's like, what are you, what are you currently learning? 
about him? Like, what's the new thing that you're like, maybe just the depth of his faithfulness or the depth of his love? Like, what's the thing you're currently learning? I think would be the question I'd want to ask him. Well, this has been a rich, rich time together. And one of the things I appreciate both of you about both of you is, uh, as far as I can tell, you're both deep thinkers. You are into a lifetime legacy. Um, you know, in many ways, like Eugene Peterson, Mark, all of your books, you know, they're eventually forming kind of a life work, which is, which is awesome. And one of the things I worry about sometimes in our culture is the death of long-form thought. And Eugene Peterson is somebody who has spent, you know, 84 years thinking, praying, reflecting, putting a puzzle together. And I see both of you carrying on that tradition uh, which I think is really important in an era of sound bites and you know social media, uh, you know snafus and all caps and trying to trap people with questions. I think it's wonderful that a legacy that lasts a long time and is complex and 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 the way you are is as important as what you say. Uh, that's a beautiful thing, and I feel very privileged to have had uh, half an hour with Eugene Peterson, and and very privileged to have this time with Adam Weber, Mark Batterson. Thanks so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Yes, long-form thinking. I actually think about that a lot. And so I just want to say to all of you who create content, because I know there's a bunch of you, I mean, there's a lot of people listening and a lot of you create your own content, don't fall victim to the soundbite. I mean, people told me your blog posts have to be 300 words. Sometimes mine are 2,000, and you know what? People read them, but sometimes sometimes 2,000 words is like too many, but sometimes you need that amount of time to develop a thought. Um, you know, my new book's going to be 55, 60,000 words. It's not through the final edits yet, but that's probably in the neighborhood of where it's going to land. And I think we need more of that. I'm just personally this week finishing a uh, biography of the White Brothers by David McCullough, which is great. I don't know how many words it is, probably 60, 70,000. But like we need to think beyond little tiny fractal bites. And uh, I know there's a lot of good people, good thinkers who who listen to this podcast and hey, don't be afraid of longer form, even like this podcast, which is now, you know, well past the hour mark. So I'm a big fan of that. I just think the good people need to win on the internet and in the world. And when a thought is worth developing, uh, take the time you need to develop it. So anyway, that's my little editorial. Thanks again to trainedup.church. They are helping churches train volunteers. And if you haven't gotten on the bandwagon yet, why not? Head on over to trainedup.church, check them out. And don't forget, we're going to be on the Orange Tour. I'm going to be in a bunch of cities, uh, including one of the first dates will be I'll be in Atlanta in September and then in California. So come hang out with us. We are so excited for that. You can get all the dates at orangetour.org. And I got some stuff coming down the pipe, including, uh, well some celebrations for you guys. The podcast is turning three in September and I've got a brand new course I'm going to be telling you about next month. So thanks so much for listening. And I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.